Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 241 with Dave Crenshaw. I think you'll have a lot of fun with this episode because it's all about fun and the power of fun and the importance of fun, how to get more fun. Fun, fun, fun. So you'll learn, one, why having fun is critical to your success, two, how to build your own oasis, and three, perspectives on switching from a culture of now to a culture of when. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F241. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our handy resources. One I'd point you to today is the magnifying glass there in the navigation bar. So the cool thing about having 241 conversations recorded is that we transcribe them. So you can search the full text for anything you've think you may have remembered hearing once and have forgotten or want to get a pinpoint guidance on a situation you can likely you know, find a conversation we've had before about that by clicking the magnifying glass in the navigation bar at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here is Dave's story. Dave Crenshaw is the master of building productive leaders. He's appeared in Time Magazine, USA Today, Fast Company, and the BBC News. His courses on LinkedIn Learning, which you can check out for free, by the way, at linkedin.com slash awesome, have received millions of views. He has written four books, including The Myth of Multitasking, which was published in six languages and is a time management bestseller. As an author, keynote speaker, and online instructor, Dave has transformed hundreds of thousands of business leaders worldwide. Here's Dave. Dave, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Well, first and foremost, I think we need to hear a little bit about you and Chuck Norris. What's the backstory? <laughs> well, for those unfamiliar, uh, Chuck Norris facts are jokes that have been making around their internet for, gosh, close to 10 years now. And they're just statements of uh, just ridiculous strength and power that Chuck has. Things like Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas or Chuck Norris makes onions cry. And they're fairly popular. And Chuck heard about these and put together the official Chuck Norris fact book. Well, in the official Chuck Norris fact book, he cites me and my book, The Myth of Multitasking. And it's under the Chuck Norris fact, by the way, Chuck Norris can kill two stones with one bird. So uh, that is the connection. And, uh, you know, there are lots of things that I've done. I've been on Time Magazine, BBC, all these different places, but there's nothing that will ever be as cool as being mentioned by Chuck Norris in the official Chuck Norris fact book. That is cool. And so I guess Chuck was on board with your perspective in that multitasking or switch tasking, if you will, is a thief and suboptimal, etc. Yes. Yeah. He does not believe in multitasking and he believes in focusing on one thing at a time. Boy, it feels like there's a Chuck Norris fact. <laughs> there, there is actually. So when that happened, I sent that out to my social media followers and said, I'll give my books and the Chuck Norris fact book to somebody who can come up with the best Chuck Norris fact about multitasking. And the winner was Chuck Norris doesn't multitask. It's never taken him more than one punch. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Oh, well, we're having fun. And so I want to talk about your latest book, The Power of Having Fun, which is a compelling title. And I'm so intrigued to get the details on this above what I've read thus far. So could you give us your view? What, what's sort of the main idea behind this book and, and why is it important now? Sure. 
The first thing that I want to say is that I am a productivity expert. I help build productive leaders. So when I'm talking about the power of having fun, I'm coming at it primarily from a productivity standpoint. And what I've learned, it's sort of the cousin to the myth of multitasking. The myth of multitasking is about what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't try to do multiple things at the same time. Well, the power of having fun is about what you should do. If you want to be more productive, you must make having fun a top priority in your schedule. It is something that you should put in your calendar and protect just as much as you protect an appointment with your most important client, with your boss, with anyone who is critical to your success because it is critical to your success. Oh, Dave, this is a message I love to hear because I'm subject to some of those, I don't know, guilt things about not doing or achieving enough or should I be having fun in this moment type things. So I love this thesis. So could you back it up a little bit? Like it almost sounds too good to be true. Like (laughs) why? Why is having fun this important? Sure. Well, I can back it up. The first thing that I want to say though, before I go into any kind of studies or research or science behind it is I am less interested in the research of others and more interested in the research or the experiment of you. What that means is sometimes we get all lathered up with all these studies and statistics. And what really matters is, does this apply to you? So rather than taking my word for it and going, well, that's what everybody should do, I would encourage people who are listening to this to test it, to put it into application into your life, maybe just for two weeks and try that experiment, because ultimately, that is the most powerful proof that I can offer. And what I believe you'll find is what many of my leadership clients have found, which is that when you make fun a priority, you get more done, you're more productive, you're happier, and you're more creative. Okay, yeah, I'm with you there, that certainly, like, that's where the rubber meets the road, and sort of the ultimate bottom line there is not so much, did it work for this population of people studied over at the University of such and such, but does is it going to work for you? Yes. Uh, but just so that the listeners get fired up, and me fired up, about doing such a test, could you share some of that uh, research or, or data that suggests it's extremely probable that if we do this test, we will like what we see? Sure. Well, my favorite favorite one is it comes from a study and this is the the actual study title the role of dopamine in learning memory and performance in a water escape task water escape <laughs> i'm thinking of harry houdini right now <laughs> yeah yeah this was published by the university of washington not too long ago and what it was is a study to show the role of dopamine in how well a mouse could learn and perform over time. So what they did was they had two different groups. They had a group that had naturally occurring dopamine in their body, and then a group that was deprived artificially of dopamine occurring in their body. Now, if you're not familiar with what dopamine is, it is the motivation-inducing chemical that your body naturally creates when something enjoyable happens like having fun, like taking a break, whatever is fun for you, reading a book, going for a walk, playing video games, whatever it is, your body releases a little dopamine into your system. Even the dark side of fun. That's a whole different topic, though. Here's the thing. When mice had dopamine in their system, naturally injected, they learned faster and better. In other words, their performance over time improved. They got better and better at escaping from this little water task that they had set up. 
The mice, though, that had been deprived of naturally occurring dopamine, their performance got worse over time. In other words, the more they did it, the worse they got at it. They didn't perform better. They got slower. They made more mistakes. Now, here's where it comes into our world. We aren't mice in a maze, but many people treat ourselves as if we are. We deprive ourselves of having fun, which creates that naturally occurring dopamine, which means that when we do that, we're getting worse at our performance. Every single day that you persist at your desk with skipping those vacation days that you should have used, you're not getting better. And and in fact, the research backs that up as well. Project Time Off found that when people take more than 10 days of vacation a year, they were more likely to receive a raise and get promoted than those who did not take all their vacation days. Okay. All right. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, if you have maybe one more you can lay on us with regard to research or studies, uh, I'm feeling it. So, well, I'm going to shift gears just slightly because it does relate. One thing that I talk about in The Power of Having Fun is the need to not just have an oasis is what I call them. An oasis is this fun break that you schedule in your calendar. And one thing that I found was that when couples take time to go on a date once per week, and that is also part of having fun, when a couple has that time, according to the National Marriage Project, they are 3.5 times more likely to report being very happy in their marriages compared to those who did not spend that time together. And additionally, if they just had one dedicated time per week, They reported higher satisfaction in communication and sexuality in the bedroom. And that is so critical because of other studies that show, uh, that talk about the work home resources model. In other words, when you're happy at home, you are more likely to succeed at work. And if you have people in your life that you care about, if you want them to be successful at work or at school, spend time with them. Not only will you both feel better about your relationship, but you both will succeed more in your career. Okay. I like it. I dig it. So convinced. So let's jump in then when it comes to fun. I mean, fun is fun. We like it. We'd like to have some more of it. And so I'd like to get maybe a bit of perspective when it comes to the work time versus fun time, although hopefully work is fun, but dedicated fun, rejuvenation, non-work time. Is there sort of like a sweet spot or a ratio or... Or how do we think about kind of the relative application of precious time between the two? Sure. So I define an oasis as something that is brief and recurring in your schedule. And you want to have oasis of different scales. You want to have a daily oasis, a weekly oasis, a monthly oasis, and a yearly oasis. Let's knock down the yearly first or cover it. That's usually what people refer to as a vacation. All right. So we want to make sure that we're keeping that and having that. But that's not enough. It's too far in between. We're depriving ourselves for far too long a period of time. So we also want to have once a month, perhaps a half day or a day that we take that is reserved in advance just for us to relax and enjoy ourselves, do something that's fun. Then once a week, you have something that's a little shorter, maybe one to two hours once per week that you relax and enjoy this oasis. And then finally, you have a daily oasis that's occurring once every day that's in the neighborhood of 30 minutes to an hour. And that can be anything from watching your favorite Netflix program 
to working on a hobby, whatever it is that you find enjoyable. But all of these should not be something that you fit in the seams. The problem, the mistake that many people make with having fun is they do it after everything gets done. They say, well, once I do this, then I will be able to have it. But instead, we want to have a clear commitment in our schedule of when that's going to occur. Okay. And so when it comes to the scheduling, any pro tips for scheduling well? Well, the first thing is just to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> that sounds so basic, yet I worked with executives all around the world, and I'll tell you that people are not using their calendar the way that they should. There's way too much, gosh, what, what would I say? Just kind of going with the flow. And that's not just a problem with having fun. It's a problem with time management in general. So you want to get in the habit of using that calendar as a time budget, a commitment in your calendar. The next thing I would say is try to find natural ebbs and flows in your day. So there are typically times of the day where you're going to have more downtime. You're going to be more relaxed or not as many interruptions. That's usually a good time to schedule one of these oases. Well, I'm very intrigued by something you said there with regard to, you see this with lots of your clients There's and calendars misused. There's way too much going with the flow. Could you expand upon that a little bit? What do you mean by that? And what's the superior alternative? Well, what I mean by that is we are driven by the culture of now. All right. The culture of now says, if someone asks me a question, I have to respond to it now. If I'm going to do something, I need to do it right now. You know, I got a neighbor who uh, does, you know, just kind of as a side hobby, does t-shirts for people. And she said, I mean, this is, this is almost word for word. She said, if someone wants me to do it, I don't want them to tell me the date by which it gets done. I want them to tell me I need this tomorrow. <laughs> they want that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're driven by the adrenaline. But the problem with the culture of now is that it contradicts itself. You cannot do it all now. And if you're allowing all the inputs to come at you at once, you are setting yourself up to a try to multitask, which is going to really screw things up. So the superior method is to move to the culture of when. The culture of when relies upon the calendar and says, I'm going to work on this project and this is when I'm going to do it. I'm going to respond to your quick questions and this is when I'm going to do it. I'm going to make these t-shirts and here's the time that I have dedicated in my week to making t-shirts. That is far superior. It helps you live a more relaxed and less stressful life and creates opportunities for having fun as well. You know, Dave, I'm, I'm seeing this in my own life and I think that in some ways it's just a matter of, of getting real about what are the commitments that are actually, are you committed to versus what resources or time do you really have available and thus what is actually going to get done versus what is not going to get done and to be in the driver's seat for actually making those decisions as opposed to, I don't know, sometimes I feel like a crazy person just like, uh, the next thing, uh, the next thing, as opposed to getting real, like, no, in fact, you're overbooked, overcommitted, overscheduled, and it's an impossible fantasy to believe that all of those things will be done. And so it's sort of like endure the pain now of realizing It ain't going to happen. And then just decide, choose, schedule, budget the time in a way that is most aligned with your highest order objectives. And I know I've heard this and I've shared it, but from time to time, you know, everything sort of descends at once and it's like, oops, 
it's time to take a step back and recollect and get real about the time allocations. Yeah. And when you talk about that, one thing that really comes to mind is how so many people right now are wearing the busy badge as a badge of honor. How are you doing? Well, I'm really busy as if that means that we're being successful. And the reality is busy is a white flag of of surrender, not a badge of honor. It's showing that you cannot control your time. What really matters is what results are you getting? In fact, I teach people, I teach my clients that if anyone says I'm busy to follow up by saying, great, what results are you getting? And what you're trying to do is shift your mind away from perpetual motion to productivity. Productivity is not about perpetual motion. It's about finding your rhythm. And the power of having fun reinforces that because so many people feel that taking a break to have fun is not productive. But in fact, it's part of that rhythm. Taking that downtime is giving you the ability to really perform at maximum levels when you go back to work. And that's really what rhythm is about. You think about rhythm in in a song. There are periods of high intensity. There are middle periods that are sort of drifting along. And then there's silence. And all of those things come together to make a beautiful piece of music. It's the same thing with our personal productivity. All right. I dig that. Well, so then, yes, back to having fun and these oases. I'm curious then, it seems like we have our own intuitive sense for what we like to do, what we find to be fun. But I'd love to know, are there some kind of particular components of these oases that make them extra rejuvenatingly awesome? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. You would think that people could figure out what's fun for them, yet, gosh, a lot of very successful executives that I work with, when you ask them, what do you do for fun? There is a very long pause. <laughs> it's like, I forgot. I haven't done it much. <laughs> right. Right. So one of the steps in the power of having fun is discovery, is going through that process. And one of the things that I did in the book was kind of fun, was I surveyed 500 children from all across the U.S. and asked them two questions. The first question, what do you like to do for fun? And number two, what would you say to an adult who has forgotten how to have fun and be happy? Oh, nice. And the list that was generated that I put in the book of all the activities that kids like to do for fun had a purpose. It's not just, oh, this is cute to look at what kids say. What I'm doing is asking adults to answer the question, what did you used to do for fun? When you were a kid, you knew how to have fun. If someone said, what do you do for fun? There's no hesitation. You've got a list. My kids have a list (laughs) of things that they can do to have fun. And so what you can do is you don't have to act like a kid. Personally, I believe adults should act like adults. I know some people have a different philosophy on that. But what you can do is find the adult equivalent of what you used to do as a child. So for instance, I used to like to play with Legos. So Perhaps building models is a way to do it, or maybe doing, you know, more advanced Legos or building something else, right? Or if you like to play outside, you like to run around, maybe you can start doing mountain biking or walk the dog or whatever it is that's enjoyable to you. So you call upon the wisdom that you had when you were a child to figure out what to do for fun as an adult. Okay. That's good. That's good. And so then, so you're reflecting back, okay, when I was a kid, what I like to do and what could be some grown-up equivalents. 
any other sort of pro tips in the discovery phase? Well, another thing that you want to do is make sure that you're focusing on something that is constructive, not destructive. And that goes back to your comment about sex and drugs and stuff like that. It's important to recognize that when I talk about having fun, I am talking about things that build you up and make you happier or don't have negative consequences. And one example of this is one female executive that I worked with, she determined that for her, one of her little moments of fun in the day was to enjoy a piece of chocolate, was just to sit and savor that and enjoy that. And for her, that's not a problem. But if somebody else has an eating disorder, using food as a potential reward is not what I'm talking about. So in that case, you're going to want to find something else that builds you up. You also want to find things that are well within your budget or free. We are not talking about spending lots of money, and it is not necessary to spend lots of money. Another female business owner that I worked with, for her, her daily oasis was to go for a walk. And and she put it in these particular terms. She said, I want to go for a walk down the hill, go see Bessie the cow, which they have as a cow pasture near where her office was, and pat Bessie on the nose and talk to her a little bit and then come back. For her, that was enough of an oasis. So let's make sure that it's constructive, that it's cheap to free, and that uh, it is, as I mentioned before, that it's brief. Okay, very good. Also now, working through your stages here, we, we sort of naturally organically covered it. We got the permission to play because we've seen, hey, there's real research that the dopamine's going to make you better. It's powerful. Getting to the bottom of what's fun and scheduling it. When it comes to putting it on the calendar, you said it's key just to do it instead of going with the flow Yes, and to acknowledge the ebbs and flows and rhythms of when you can do that scheduling. I'm curious, are there any kind of patterns you see in terms of beginning of the day, end of the day, lunch, or are just kind of tend to make a lot of good sense for a lot of people? Usually I see this right around lunch or at the end of the workday or in the evening. Those are kind of the three major places where most people put their oasis. Typically in the morning, people aren't ready for it yet. They want to go to work. They're ready to do work, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking that break in addition to lunch. And notice that I emphasize that it is not lunch. Lunch is what you need to fuel your body. Then the oasis is what you need to fuel your emotion and your energy, two separate activities. But those are typically the three major places where people end up scheduling it. Okay. And so then how about protecting that time you've scheduled? How do you do that effectively? Yeah. So protection stage four, that's about looking at some of the things that could get in the way. So the perspective that I come from, as I say, uh, you want to think of these as different diseases that can creep into your life and you want to inoculate yourself against them. You want to have a strategy to prepare yourself against them. For instance, let's talk about the busy bacteria, right? We've talked about how busy is a problem. And so one thing that we want to do is get in the habit of scheduling buffer time in our day. And buffer time is basically scheduling space for nothing. And that sounds like, my gosh, who is this guy telling me to schedule time for nothing? How can that be productive? And I will tell you that it's one of the keys to being highly productive, especially in our day, in the 21st century. You know, back 30, 40 years ago, when people talked about time management productivity, it was about maximizing every minute, every hour that you had in your schedule. In the 21st century, we have a radically different problem. Our problem is time protection and time reclamation. 
we are going to get interrupted because of the pace of technology. So we must have extra space in our schedule to accommodate for those interruptions, not scheduling to our calendar to a razor's edge. So how does that relate to having fun? Well, if I've scheduled my calendar right to the minute and then fun comes up and I'm behind because I got interrupted earlier in the day, then what happens? Oh, well, this doesn't matter. I need to take care of work, right? But if we have that buffer space and if we're living well within our means in terms of the schedule, we will feel that we have enough time to have fun, which we should. I hear you. And so then with the buffer space, so you schedule time for nothing. It's actually, I guess I'm thinking about my email inbox and how it, it lately has been expanding. And so then when you say schedule time for nothing, that's not even scheduling time for inbox clearing, which I've been thinking maybe this is what has to happen if this is ever going to go down, but rather just nothing, nothing. And so I'm wondering though, do you have like a game plan in terms of, okay, if I schedule time for nothing and then in fact, nothing comes up, is there like the backup statement or is it just like I will sit in silence? Oh, no, no, of course. If that time comes up and you don't have anything, then you could use it to help check your inbox or do whatever you want to do. But the thing is, when that happens, then you feel like you've got extra time rather than feeling like I can't keep up with all this. It's too much. And by the way, what you're bringing up in terms of just Getting your inbox to zero, again, that's a different topic I cover in my course, Time Management Fundamentals on uh, LinkedIn Learning. And in that, I take people through the entire process of creating a time management system so that you're bringing your inbox to zero on a regular basis. And that sort of highlights something that I mentioned in the book, which is having good time management, having solid principles that you're living is an important component of making sure that you're having these oases in the day. Because if you're completely out of control with your time management, if you can't keep your desk organized, if you can't keep up with the papers and the email and everything that's coming at you, then yes, what I'm asking people to do to have fun is going to become a very tall order. Okay. And so then the final stage, just enjoying the oases. How does one enjoy fun all the more? Yeah. So this one is a a really fun one. Whenever I think about this principle of enjoyment, I think of one client that I had, and she told me how she was on vacation. She was at a beautiful tropical location. She's sitting down, you know, enjoying the surf and the, well, the surf and the sand is around her. She's got a tropical drink next to her. And then she's on her phone scheduling, planning her next vacation. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, holy crap, I have a disease. And so many people have this disease. When fun things happen to us, they are unable to take them in. I've experienced this in the past where you have something wonderful happen to you and it just bounces right off of you. And that's so much a symptom of the multitasking world that we're living in our inability to feel it, yet we must take time to allow our body to take it in so that we can get that precious dopamine in a positive way. So here's the three-step system that I talk about in the book and I gave to this client, and it's head, heart, mouth. And it's always helpful to actually point to the body part to reinforce this in your mind. You point to your head, you point to your heart, you point to your mouth. And here's how it works. Head, 
you intellectually acknowledge something great that happened. So in the instance of uh, my daughter giving me this wonderful thank you card, I intellectually say to my mind, that was great to get a card from my daughter. That was enjoyable. Now, that sounds very clinical, and it is. It's designed to be. I enjoyed this experience. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it is supposed to be like that because what you are doing is you are stopping your brain and saying, whoa, don't move to the next thing. This was good. Okay. Then we go to the emotional aspect of it. Heart, by asking a question, how did this make me feel? This creates an open loop that the brain must close. So now I have to think about, well, it made me feel really good. It made me feel like I'm a good dad that my daughter would take the time to write this card to me, whatever it is that comes through your mind. And then we move to mouth, which is an acknowledgement, a verbal or written, some sort of external acknowledgement. So you can say out loud, this was great to go on this vacation. Or in the case of this card that my daughter gave me, I made another card for her and gave it back to her and said, thank you so much for doing this. I'm a very practical guy. This isn't touchy-feely stuff. This is brain science. What you are doing is you're strengthening the neural pathways of enjoyment. You're strengthening your enjoyment muscle and you're and restarting your ability to actually feel good when good things happen to you. It's a simple principle, but it's powerful. If you practice it over and over, it will completely change your perspective on what's happening around you. Okay. Awesome. Well, Dave, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, just if you're curious about it, not sure if you want to buy the book, you can dive in by taking, there's an assessment, a free assessment that you can get at powerofhavingfun.com. It's a 21 question assessment called the fun scorecard. And you can check your score and find out how well you're doing in terms of having fun. Okay, cool. Thank you. So now can you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? (laughs) It's probably not going to be what you expect, but I do mention this in the book. And the, the quote is, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Okay, please elaborate. Well, so much of happiness in life comes from a matter of expectations met or exceeded. And where people get themselves into trouble is they set expectations or even just kind of go with the flow and create expectations that other people have for them without really being conscious about it. And instead, if you go through life with saying, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't expect what's going to happen. Then when great things occur, you are more likely to be happy and more likely to be successful. Okay, I dig that. So now at the same time, Dave, I'm wondering about like, you know, should we call them standards that we have for ourselves or colleagues that we work with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In a way, a standard is kind of like an expectation, like you have met my expectations or you have exceeded my expectations. So I I look at hmm. it a different way. All right. I use the word values. I use the word vision and values. A vision is where I'm trying to go in my life, is a place that I'm trying to accomplish. And I do think that we should set our visions high. And values are the ways in which we live our life. But you said an interesting thing, which is other people not meeting that standard. And if you make your happiness dependent upon other people meeting your expectations, you will always be disappointed. You cannot control the actions of others. Even if you're a boss and people are getting paid to do stuff, you cannot control their actions. All you can do is get them excited about the result that you're trying to get and get them on your side. 
there's a very big difference. And it kind of, this is a whole other subject of hinting at the difference between managing and micromanaging. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, you mean besides mine? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of Seven Habits by Stephen Covey. You know, that was probably the book that really inspired me to do what I do. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of great wisdom in there that I, I lean on still to this day. Okay. And how about a favorite tool? You know, my favorite tool of the moment, uh, you know, there are lots of tools. Right now, I'm really enjoying my Google Home Mini. And I use it in my office and I've got all my lights set up to it and all sorts of things. And I found that it saved me a ton of time. Intriguing. What activities were you doing that have been displaced? Well, if you do as much video as I do, see, I have a whole setup in my office. So now, in fact, let's see if we can even get it to do it. If you can hear it in the background, say, okay, Google, turn on everything. Okay, turning on eight things. <laughs> Eight things. <laughs> yeah. So it turned on my whole setup in my office, and I find myself asking it questions all the time, and it, it's super convenient. So, again, I've got lots of tools that I love to use, but right now that's the one that I'm thrilled with. Okay, cool. And how about a favorite habit? Well, it's going to sound like it's redundant, but honestly, my favorite habit is what we're talking about. And you know, I didn't mention what my daily oasis is. I'm a geek. And my daily oasis is to play video games for 30 minutes at the end of each day. And that habit I cite as one of the reasons why I am successful and perhaps more importantly, why at five o'clock each day when my children come into my office, I am able to focus on my family and be present with them for the rest of the night instead of continuing to think about work. Beautiful. And is there a particular nugget you share in your courses or your trainings that seems to really connect and resonate, getting folks nodding their heads and taking notes and such? Boy, I'll just call the first one that comes to mind. And it sort of dovetails on what we've been talking about. And here's the principle. You can do anything you put your mind to doing, just not all at the same time. Okay, cool. And Dave, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, well, again, you can find out more about the book at powerofhavingfun.com. And you can also reach me. I've got my blog. I send out a new video every week at davecrenshaw.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action that you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, try this. Try The Power of Having Fun for two weeks. Measure where you're at right now on a scale of zero to 10, how much energy, how much focus you have at work. Then schedule a daily oasis every day, short one, just 30 minutes for two weeks. Do it and then remeasure where you're at. And let's see whether or not the experiment works for you. Okay. Well, Dave, thank you so much. This has been a real treat and it's fun and it's a license for more fun. So a win-win. So thanks for all that you've shared and good luck at all that you're up to. I hope that you just keep rocking and rolling and spreading this good word. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Pete. Appreciate it. I love the way Dave reframed that a bit. Busy is a white flag of surrender and not a badge of honor. And that is a nice reminder. We heard previously in the episode about the practices of high performers back in episode 186 with Dr. Clint Longnecker. And he mentions again and again how when you're too busy, that creates all kinds of cascading problems. So I thought that was a helpful reminder that fun is not just extraneous, but it's critical, crucial, helpful. So if there's any workaholics, listening, there's a prescription for better results is to take some more time for fun.
which I think is pretty cool. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep241. And I also recommend you check out the linkedin.com slash awesome because Dave has tons of LinkedIn learning courses, which are pretty good. I've perused several of them and I dig, I recommend. And that is going right now to get your your free trial at linkedin.com slash awesome. I also hope you'll push subscribe so you'll catch our very next guest. It is Deidre Breckenridge. We are talking about how you can present if you have a difficult or tricky audience and, and what that looks like. Hope you catch you there and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.